so many ways. So Matthew chapter 8, you should be there. We're going to start reading at verse 23. Matter of fact, let's read our text this morning. As we read, now when he, that is Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, verse 26, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, we do live in a time where it breaks our heart, even as I think about Jeremiah's. We're going through that study on Wednesday nights that he wept for a nation that was dying spiritually. And as we see the things around us in our culture and what's going on around in our nation, we weep as well. As we see Bibles being burnt in the streets and, and, and as we see that it is perilous times, just as Paul said it would be in the last days. But Father, as we come to your word, this is written for us. Lord, not only to look at the implication, but to make application for our lives. Because I know just as these disciples were in a storm and it seemed hopeless, that there are those right now that are listening, that they're in a storm right now. And they've gone through difficulty. They've gone through loss. Uh, there's confusion. There is all kinds of emotions that, that you're feeling. But Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us build our faith. And Lord, that you would remind us that you're with us and that you are truly almighty God. There's no storm too big for you to work. And so, Lord, we want to be attentive. We want to take your word and place it in our hearts. And, Lord, may we be comforted knowing that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So keep in mind that Jesus, after in chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, delivers the Sermon on the Mount. The multitudes, of course, we read at the end of that sermon, mar marveled because of his teaching, teaching as one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. And it comes down from the mountain, and he, in chapter 8, as we have seen, he's healing people of every kind of sickness and disease, and he's freeing the demoniacs. And in this chapter, we read how he cleansed the man that was full of leprosy. He healed a centurion servant by just speaking the word. He heals Peter's mother-in-law that had a fever. And keep in mind that as last time we were together, we read in verse 18 of the chapter that as the multitude was great, it's the evening after the Sabbath, according to Matthew. And he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. That is the Sea of Galilee. And so he's about ready to get into a boat. And a certain scribe comes running up to him and says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And we looked at the response of, of Jesus in that. Uh, it responded to him uh, concerning the cost of discipleship and truly following him. Does he have preeminence in your life? Is he first in your life? Is he really one that you're going to count the costs in following him? It was a very important study that we did last time that brings us now to verse 23 as we read again that when he did get into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. 
So as we discussed, geographically, the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of the country sits in a bowl. There's mountains all around. It's 800 feet below sea level. Very beautiful place. Uh, very mild all year long. There is a rainy season in the winter time, uh, but the, the Jordan River from the mountains up north uh, flow into the Sea of Galilee. There's a lot of fish. It's fresh water. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's a lake about nine miles wide and 12 miles long. And then the Jordan River exits the south end of the Sea of Galilee, and, and there it continues down the Jordan Valley to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the face of the earth. And as the disciples are there on the Sea of Galilee, the story that is before us this morning tells us that a storm comes up very quickly and the winds are blowing very hard uh, to cause these huge waves. Matter of fact, with the Sea of Galilee sitting in a bowl, that those winds, those storms can come up on the Sea of Galilee very, very quickly. As a matter of fact, one of the trips that we took, I remember being in a boat, and the boat that we're in is, is much larger than these little fishing boats that they would use back in Jesus' day. And, and a storm came up very suddenly, and the wind was blowing, and the waves were huge, and it was rocking the boat, and you're kind of feeling sick and, and a little bit nervous. And I remember we had to turn back and go back to the dock. So winds can come up and be very fierce, swirling in the Sea of Galilee, in that bowl, come up on you quickly. And, and as they're making their way across the Sea of Galilee, suddenly we are told in our text that a storm came up. Matthew writes that suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, and that word tempest in the Greek is seismos, where we get our word seismic, earthquake. There were huge waves that were covering the boat. Now Luke's account of this story tells us that a storm came down on them, and they were in jeopardy because the boat was filling up with water. So here is this violent storm that is raging, and Jesus, he's sleeping. The disciples are terrified. Now, keep in mind that, that uh, many of these disciples, several of them, they are seasoned, uh, salted fishermen. We know Peter and Andrew and James and John. We've already been introduced to them in Matthew's gospel. They probably all grew up on this lake, but they, they fished on this lake, made a living on this lake of fishing. And nonetheless, this storm was so bad, it was so severe, that it scared the daylights out of them. And I used to think, how could Jesus be asleep in a boat? Now remember that Jesus had been ministering to the crowds, huge multitudes had gathered around him. And he certainly would be exhausted. He would be tired physically because he had dedicated himself totally to the crowds. And he says to his disciples, hey, let's get into a boat. Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The storm, all of a sudden, as they're making a way, arises, and the boat is filling up with water fast. And the disciples, they're terrified. They were really scared, and, and the storm is really, really bad. Probably nothing like they had seen before. And so they woke Jesus up, and they said, verse 25, Master, we are perishing. We are going to die. And whenever that we find ourselves in a storm in our own lives, and all of us will find ourselves in a storm, and maybe you're in a storm this morning, that what can happen is we become fearful. We know that fear then begins to intensify that storm, that situation, that difficulty that we are going through. 
So here are the disciples. They're terrified as the storm is, is raging and Jesus is sleeping. And think about this. I mean, God's whole program is in this boat. The infant church is in this boat. In this boat, this humble little fishing boat, is God's salvation. In this little fishing boat is the book of Acts. In this boat that we are reading about is my salvation and your salvation. And Satan, I'm sure, would have loved to sink this boat and drown Jesus and the disciples. And you might be thinking, why do you bring Satan into this story? Because Mark's account of this story tells us that Jesus would calm the storm by saying, be muzzled which is the same phraseology that he would use to cast out demons. So there are some commentators and some Bible scholars that have suggested that perhaps Satan stirred this storm up and wanted to destroy God's plan of salvation, to destroy uh, the future of the church. And, And I don't know for sure, but I do know this, that Satan loves to stir up storms in your life and in my life. Spiritual warfare is very, very real. And he comes against us constantly. And he loves to stir up. He loves to blow problems and confusion and temptations and fear into our lives. And he's very good at it. And I'm sure that Satan would have loved to have wanted to destroy and drown all of those that were in that boat. And the disciples here, they're terrified. They have been through, no doubt, storms before in the Sea of Galilee. I mean, these guys who are fishermen made a living on this lake. And no doubt, this storm is different. It is a storm, I think, that they had never experienced before. And here they set sail like they had done many times before. Now, keep in mind, as we read in verse 18, Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the sea. They're being obedient to what Jesus said, the word that he gave to them, the command that he spoke to them. And they set out, and yet the storm comes down on them. You know, God allows storms to come into our lives, and they do. I think that all of us that are here, we know that storms happen in our lives. And and God allows storms. I don't know always why they are allowed, but I do know at times that God allows storms to come into our lives for correction. Uh, We can ask Jonah about that, right? Jonah was being disobedient. And God sent a storm to correct Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. Jonah says, I don't want to go. And he gets in a boat and goes the opposite direction. He goes to Tarsus. So God allowed a storm to come on the sea. They throw him overboard. You know the story. And a large fish comes and swallows Jonah and brings him back to the shore where he would go to Nineveh to get him back on track and that he would go there to that city and he would preach. I know that the Lord has allowed storms to come into my life when I'm getting off track, when, when I'm not being obedient. Uh, he may allow storms to come into your life when there is carnality or sin or you're going down a road he doesn't want you to go. And the reason that he does it is because he's a loving father that chastens his children and he's motivated by what? Because he wants to make your life miserable? No. He's motivated for his love for you. Just like us as parents, we chasten, we discipline our children, don't we? And they need that. 
because as they grow, they need to learn what is right and wrong and to be responsible. So we will chasten them as a loving parent and our loving father who is perfectly just and who is perfectly good, that he will allow storms at times when we are being disobedient to get us on track. And please keep this in mind because sometimes people will say, well, God's judging me. Listen, Jesus took the judgment for you on Calvary's cross. But he will chasten us, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, because of his love for us. Because he wants to work fruits of righteousness in our lives to get us back on track. So he does allow storms like Jonah, storms of correction that can come into our lives. But we also know that not only storms of correction, not every storm is that, but he allows storms to come into our lives for perfection. You see, I think that's what the Lord is doing here. Because they are in God's will. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. They launch off. Jesus goes to the stern of the boat, falls asleep, and the storm comes on them very quickly. We cannot judge someone. We cannot assume ourselves when there is a storm in our life or we see somebody else going through a storm. Okay, what did I do? What did they do? What did you do to make God angry and mad at you to bring this storm into your life? You know, sometimes I've even gone through a storm and I think, Lord, uh, what did I do to make you mad? What did I do to, you know, this anger, this storm that's in my life? The Bible does say, whatever a, a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you see, uh, sow seeds to the flesh of the flesh, you will reap corruption. But as we read this story, they are doing what God called them to do. And yet there's a storm that has come upon them. James writes in his epistle that, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. Not that we ever read, uh, uh, reach that perfected state. When that word perfect there is used in James, it means maturity. He's maturing us that we may be complete, lacking nothing. And in the storms, as I've looked back, that he's allowed storms. I don't know exactly why those storms have come into my life, but I do know this. That there is a testing of faith, and as I trust in him and rest in his love, that there's a maturing that can take place. Listen, he doesn't allow storms in your life to wipe you out and do you in, but to build you up, to make you stronger, to show you things that he wants to show you. To help you to grow in your trust in him and to rest in his love for you. He desires to do that work in us. And it's not always easy. But the Lord is doing that work of conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So back to Matthew. This storm is raging. Things look really bad as we read again. Let's read it again in verse 25. Then the disciples come to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So the disciples wake him up and, and say, We're taking in water. We're going down. Mark's gospel records them saying to him, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? And he rebukes the storm. In another gospel, he says, why are you afraid? Secondly, in all three synoptic gospels where this story is recorded, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
that he says, where is your faith? Here in Matthew, you have a little faith. In Mark's gospel, you have no faith. As we go through the storms in our lives, and there are those times that we can begin to think that, Lord, are you sleeping? Lord, you're not awake. You don't see me. You don't see the storm that I am in. The waves of problems are shaking my world. And I'm taking in water. And I'm about ready to go under. Don't you care that I perish? And Jesus is teaching them. And he is ministering to them. When it comes to faith, and when you read Mark's gospel of this account and Luke's gospel, you have before that the parable of the sower that he taught to his disciples. We'll see that later in Matthew's gospel. He was teaching them about faith, about the, the man who went out and sowing seeds upon the ground. And we don't have time to go into it all this morning. We'll see it later again, as I said, in Matthew. But the seeds represent the Word of God, the different types of soil, hard soil, rocky soil, um, you know, good soil. It represents the condition of our hearts. And as the seed of God is sown in our hearts, He desires for our hearts to be like good soil, that it may be planted there, take root there, and produce fruit in our lives. And we know as we do that, take in the Word of God, as Romans chapter 10 declares to us, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the Word of God. That as we're taking in the Word of God, planted it in our hearts, allowing fruit to be produced in our lives, that we are going to grow in faith. So he gave them a lesson, a parable on faith. He's continuing in the storm to teach them about faith. And as Jesus gave them a command, he gave his word to them that let's go to the other side. And as he did that, teaching them, he's teaching us through the word of God this morning to be sown into our hearts. That I know that he's given us the promise that we're going to go to heaven, right? We're going to get to the other side of eternity. But I care right now about the journey, Lord. And I need you. I need to hear from you. I'm fixated uh, on the present, not just the destination. And Jesus is teaching them in this storm, just as he desires to speak to our hearts and to teach us about maybe the storm that you're presently in. I think in the day in which we're in, I think that most of us are in a storm. If you're not in a storm, it's a matter of time before one comes eventually, right? Jesus said, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. We like to underline the good promises, you know. Uh, but he said, you will, not that you might, or it's a possibility, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He said, it rains on the just and the unjust, and here in this storm, uh, the rain blowing, uh, wind and all that, the rain coming down on them, they're in a storm, and maybe you're in a storm this morning. These guys probably were very confident when they set sail. We've got this. We're experts in sailings, storms. We've dealt with it before. And now they are learning that truly without him they can do nothing. And they are learning that he is still with them in the storm. The howling wind didn't wake him. The water coming into the boat didn't wake him. The boat rocking back and forth didn't wake him. 
It was the cries of his disciples, the voices of his beloved. What is Christianity without Christ? What is church life without the head of the church being real in our lives? What is theology if we're not growing closer in relationship and intimacy with him? If, if you are not pressing in to know me personally, you don't know my voice in the morning. You haven't taken heed as I sown my word in your life and in your heart. A storm has arisen and you've been hard in your heart or you've been shallow or you have a divided heart or a crowded heart with the cares of the world and you haven't taken hold of the things that will keep you in the storm. You're my son and you're my daughter and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I have seen people and I'll confess that I have done this myself in my journey in life and in the storms that I found myself in. I begin to think I'm in a storm. I've got to, to figure this out. I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to do my own thing. I've got to go my own way. I've got to keep striving. I've got to keep working to stay afloat. I've got to lean on my own understanding. Lord, don't you care? They did not wake him up to rebuke the wind. They woke him up because they said, we're perishing. And I know this all too well in my own life. Why are you afraid, he says. Well, it's obvious. We're going to go under and perish. And here they are. They're dripping wet and they're exhausted and they're trying to bail the water out and they're about ready to drown. But here's the interesting thing. Mark's gospel tells us when he stood up and rebuked the winds, he said, be still, be muzzled, literally. That the sea calmed. That there was a great calm. All of a sudden, here they are. They're, they're saying, don't you care that we perish? Lord, wake up. We're going down. They're bailing water. They're hanging on to each other. And, and they're thinking, this is it. And they're dripping wet. And they're exhausted. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Be muzzled and calm. Smooth as glass. And you can just picture it. They're there. And just the water's coming off of them. And all of a sudden, Mark's gospel tells us they became exceedingly afraid. Isn't that interesting? Matthew says that they marveled. So as you picture this, all of a sudden, be muzzled, calm as can be. And they're looking at them, and they're dripping wet. And it says that they became exceedingly afraid. It was like they were afraid in the storm, but they're exceedingly afraid when he calmed the storm. Why are you afraid? Now, every teaching that I've heard on this, that we think and we hear, and it's correct. We're afraid because the boat's filling with water. We're perishing. But maybe Jesus is saying, why are you afraid? Because here they are. All of a sudden, it's calm. And they're looking at him. They said, who is this? Who is this that the sea and the winds obey him? Who is this? 
They've been with him, some of them for over two years now, about two years. They have heard him teach. They've seen the demoniacs freed. Blind eyes have opened. The lame to, to walk. Lepers cleansed. Every sickness and disease healed. They have even seen him raise the dead at Nain. And the people were saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And all of a sudden, they're in great awe. Who is this? And they are exceedingly afraid. And he asked, why are you afraid? You see, not just a prophet, not just a great teacher, not just a miracle worker. This is Jehovah God that is in the boat with us. Because I think that perhaps these disciples were very familiar with the sailor's psalm, the mariner's psalm that's in Psalm 107. Let me read it, a portion of it to you, starting in verse 25. You, you can turn there real quick or read it later, but Psalm 107, verse 25. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and it brings them out of their distresses, and he calms the storm so that the waves are still. Sound familiar? That's exactly what happened in the story that we just read, a fulfillment of Psalm 107 here. Who is this? That the sea and, and the winds obey. It's Jehovah God himself. And it is a lesson for a thousand generations because a thousand generations have cried out, don't you care that we're perishing? The winds didn't wake them. The water filling the boat didn't wake them. It was the cries of those who were his. David would cry out to the Lord in Psalm 61, Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. And as the storms come into our lives, whether they're financial or concerning family or our kids, or we see the storm around us concerning this pandemic that has happened and what has brought to you, uh, the, the losses... The losses. Many have gotten back and said, I've gone through so many losses. And we can cry out to him, the creator God, the great Jehovah, who can work in any situation to calm the winds and the waves of adversity in your life. And when we cry out to him, he inclines his ear to us. And the word of God tells us that we don't have to be afraid. Because when Jesus is in the boat, he's in your life, and he's in your heart, and his promises are true. I'm going to supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your comfort. I am your strength. I am your wisdom. And I will perfect that which concerns you. And you can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. 
and you are going to get to the other side. You're going to get to the other side. You're going to get to heaven. And listen, the answer to fear is what is faith. Remember, he had taught them a lesson, a parable on faith. And now they're getting a practical lesson uh, on faith. The answer to fear is faith in the one who is Almighty God. You know, this story is not telling us that we will never face a storm in our lives. This story is not telling us that when we are in a storm, that when we cry out to the Lord, all of a sudden there's a calmness. I wish that would happen. I, there have been times like, Lord, calm the storm, and I'm waiting, and yet it continues the season, the days, maybe the weeks, maybe the months as you continue through the storm. But it does tell me this, that he is with me, and I can call out to him, and I can call out to Almighty God, and I know that he loves me. How do I know that? Because Jesus would go to that cross, and he would die for my sins, and he would rise again, and he's at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for you and for me. And I may not understand why I'm in this storm, and I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. And I'm in his loving hands, and I can trust him, and I know that I can rest in his love. I can rest in his love, and his love will never abandon us, and his love for the church will never abandon us. He sees you, he inclines your ear to you, and if you ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ, will you just look to the cross, where they, there's the answer, and there's the proof of his love for you. And as you're in a storm today, he is with you. And you can have confidence that as you call out to him, that he hears you. He inclines his ear to you. You know, these guys later on, these apostles, are going to go through a storm of persecution where they're going to be martyred. They're not going to be delivered from that. But he's going to fulfill their promise, his promise to them that they're going to be with him for all eternity. And as we journey through this life, as we experience tribulation, he says to you and to me, be a good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And I am real. Sometimes he does. He calms the storm right away. Sometimes, you know, it takes a, a season where the storm leaves our lives, and then the next one comes along. But know this, he'll never leave you. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake us. And we can trust in him, rest in his love. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this story written to us because we have faith in the one. Lord, we know that there isn't any storm too difficult that you can't work in. And so I pray that as there are those I know that are here today going through a storm, whatever it might be concerning family, relationships, finances, health, that we know that we can call out to you. For those who need to be comforted, strengthened, those who are discouraged, those who have a sense of hopelessness, those who are, have gone through loss, Lord, you love us. 
and your love will never depart from us. And you incline your ear to us, and you're our stability, you're our strong tower, you're our shelter, you're our strength, you're everything that we need. So I pray that you would strengthen your people right now. That they would perceive your presence. They would know that, Lord, you see and you hear. And as they cry out to you, that, Lord, that you care. Father, help us to grow in faith in your word given to us and to rest in the love that you have for us. I want to pray for anybody who is here that maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. The reason that he came, because the greatest need that we have is to be forgiven of sin. The wages of sin is death, and that's why Jesus came, to save you from that. And on that cross that he hung on, shedding his blood for the atonement of sin, your sin, he cried out, it is finished, that I've done the work, I've paid the price. And as you come and recognize your need to be forgiven, that he is your salvation, there is none other. And the invitation is to come because he loves you so much. Listen, your life is valuable. Your life is so valuable that he came to die for you specifically. And he wants to forgive you if you just ask and come to the cross. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that right now. You can say, Lord, I come to you right now. ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. Forgive me. That you rose again in your life, speaking to my heart, and sit upon the, the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God for this, for this new beginning. That you are my hope. Lord, I want to know you more and walk with you. I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And listen, if you made a commitment to Christ or you need prayer for anything, will you please come up and just tell me and let me pray with you and, and encourage you. But Lord, all of us, as we go our way now, bless our week. Lord, continue to work and grow us in faith as we grow in your word. May you be more real to us than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer or anything, please come on up. Sing with me once more. Christ is enough. For I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided.
God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We love you. Hope to see you soon. Bye.